passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our UFC 253 post show. I'm John Pollock alongside Phil Chertok, who is here with me. 1 a.m. on the dot. We are here following tonight's UFC pay-per-view from Abu Dhabi on Fight Island. UFC has returned, as has Phil. Phil, it is great to chat with you once again. Yes, uh, great to chat with you, John. Uh, Second time in two weeks, uh, which is a treat. Uh, And uh, happy that uh, we're here uh, at 1 a.m. on a two-title fight card. When this pay-per-view began... There were a lot of people that were looking at this card and stating there was the chance that we could. This was a very decision heavy undercard. And I was looking at this main card. It could have been a much longer night tonight. And Jan Blahovich and Israel Adesanya heard our <laughs> conundrum. These guys who were fighting at like 7 a.m., whatever time it was locally, but they had our best interest at heart knowing let's get them out of there in the second round. And that is what they did. So here we are yes. at 1 a.m. and. I'm, I, I have uh, I have tons of energy right now. This is not yeah. one of those uh, where, oh, my God, I'm just exhausted. Uh, I have lots of energy. I'm ready to go. Yeah, me too. And uh, if uh, anyone in the audience, if you have a lot of uh, energy and want to join us, uh, we'll, we'll be taking calls later in the show. Uh, so if you want to participate, the way to do that is via our Discord. You join the post live calls channel. And later in the show, we will unmute you and put you on the air. And Phil, of course, you were you were manning the post Discord chat tonight, and you were telling me beforehand that it was it was pretty lively tonight. Like I was kind of interested to see what what the level of interest was going to be for this show because I would say on Friday, like this was very much a two fight card, but I didn't know how much how much a buzz there was going to be come Saturday night. And I would say like this was not a big big UFC, but where where did you think this one sort of landed in comparison to some of the recent shows we've seen? Yeah, I think I think this one's probably going to fall uh, a little bit under uh, the last event, which was yeah. a big heavyweight title fight. But I think it's not going to be too far off. Um, I think um, there was a lot of momentum coming out of last week's event. Obviously, some of that uh, was negative, uh, but um, the action in the octagon from last week, I think, p- maybe propelled people into this week's event. And uh, I just got a sense, just inching towards the event, that there began to be a bit of a little bit more buzz. Some friends of mine who are more casual MMA observers were inquiring. And so that's usually indicator that the pay-per-view is going to do well. Yeah. So this was their first of what are going to be five straight weeks back in, in uh, on Fight Island. So that meant that the first fight of the night got into the octagon locally at 3 a.m., in Abu Dhabi, which uh, is just insane. So that would have meant like Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa were fighting at about 8 a.m. in Abu Dhabi. And it was kind of interesting because in the early part, uh, John Anik and Paul Felder were talking about the different 
uh, sleep patterns that some of the fighters were playing around with this week and that even some of the fighters they didn't even sleep a regular eight hours they would break up into like four hour sleeping shifts and that's I, I would imagine for a lot of these fighters that they've got a week here in Abu Dhabi to get ready for this. It sounds like a silly thing, but I, I bet it's a significant adjustment to be having to adjust your body for fighting here in Abu Dhabi. Yes, especially if you're a main event level fighter. Um, typically, uh, as what happens very often is as uh, high level fighters prepare for a fight, they will try to aim their training and their sparring to be at the same time that they'll be competing. Um, so yeah, disrupting things like sleep uh, can be a massive detriment to their performance. But I guess the thing is everybody is suffering through these things. And a lot of fighters you'll hear, they don't get any sleep during fight week anyway. We will also get into it. There were two fighters that missed weight on, on Friday and not by small amounts either, but, uh, the headliner was Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa, both undefeated middleweights with Adesanya looking to make the uh, second defense of his title after winning it against Robert Whitaker last year and then defending it against Yoel Romero in a fight that I think it was the first fight that we saw criticism levied against Adesanya, at least in that amount, against a fighter that we, we thought stylistically that was going to be a very entertaining fight. It turned out not to be. Uh, tonight, uh I don't think there was any criticism uh, levied against Israel Adesanya, who, Phil, I don't think there was a second of this fight that this man was in any kind of risk or danger. It was uh, just a systematic breakdown of Paulo Costa, who could not adjust on the fly. And we saw in the first round just um, brutalizing his lead leg and body. And that continued into the second round. And then it was a, this beautiful slide that Adesanya did, landing this left hand that rocked Costa, going down to the mat, and then Adesanya pounced on him with hammer fists and other strikes, getting the finish. Uh, the finish came at, e- I don't have the time here in front of me, but uh, in the second round, he gets the stoppage. Um, I, I thought a flawless performance from Israel Adesanya. I thought like he could not have made this look, uh, like he just looked like he was in a, a totally different league than Paulo Costa. Definitely. It was uh, masterful. Flawless is accurate. Uh, and more so, he described exactly what was going to happen in the fight. He said Costa was going to be swinging out air. And then, you know, I mean, he said it more poetically than I'm about to, uh, you know, he's going to be falling on the mat or, you know, something to that effect. You know, he created a beautiful uh, picture with his words. And then he delivered on that in the octagon. Uh, his tactics were incredible. He was super precise. The one thing, though, was with Paulo Costa, you have to wonder what was the game plan because it, it didn't seem like there was much thought into it. I mean, clearly they were anticipating going later in the fight and pacing themselves, but it, 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 there seemed no real tactic for getting inside and getting the strikes that he needed to land to win this fight. It's it's a danger that I think some fighters find themselves in when you're a style of fighter that Paulo Costa is, and suddenly you're in the deep waters and you're looking at the potential of 25 minutes that you're staring at and wanting to conserve that energy, 
But at the same time, it almost felt like he was taking for granted that Israel Adesanya would somehow be tentative in this opening round. Like to me, the first round was the most important one for Paulo Costa. Like that is the one where if you're going to catch Adesanya off rhythm and overwhelm him, better to do it early than late and not knowing what kind of conditioning Costa would have late in the, in the fight. But after that first round and you knew what Adesanya was doing, just breaking down your leg and those body kicks that were, he landed some blistering kicks and the second round, you saw no adjustment. You didn't see any uh, accountability for the first round and an obvious round for Adesanya. He gets, uh, he eats a head kick in the second and gets cut open. Just seemed like he just could not switch gears when it was uh, suddenly he was the one that was getting overwhelmed early in the fight. And Adesanya was just calculating, broke him down. It was, uh, again, a phenomenal performance from Adesanya. The end came 359 at the end of the second round as Adesanya uh, defends his title. Uh, No doubt after this one. Yeah, I mean, you you said everything that uh, I could say. Um, there was, I mean, outside of the tactical side of things that we were critical about, uh, there was a clear speed uh, advantage that Adesanya had. Uh, I, I can't think of one shot that really got close to him that was uh, like a punch. He did land some decent shots to the body, but uh, other than that, Paulo Costa came up empty here. Yeah, a lot of clowning around by Costa as well. It almost seemed like when all else fails, just try and get Adesanya emotional. And this guy was like a Terminator in there. He was not going to be playing any games with him. At one point, Adesanya was like trying to urge him on, calling him Yoel Romero uh, in in the fight. But this had a much different outcome than the Romero fight. And then afterward, uh, Adesanya, like very rare of a champion to call his shot, stating that if Jared Cannonier beats Robert Whitaker, then he wants Cannoneer next. He thinks he's a great guy and he should be the one to get the next uh, title fight. So now it's on Cannoneer to win this fight, but um, not often that we get the champion calling out uh, his next challenger. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it. Uh, I like Cannoneer as an opponent. I mean, he does have this fight uh, coming up in a few weeks that he has to win, but uh, I've been calling on Cannoneer as being sort of the, the one guy to really challenge Adesanya. Um, how you know how well he can do we shall see but i i'm looking forward to that of course if he beats robert whitaker which is no small task you know whitaker looked good in his last fight against darren till and uh i'm sure he's going to be eager to try to get a shot uh back at that title himself what happens if robert whitaker wins this fight oh <sighs> uh, that's it are, are we at a point yet like looking at the contenders here i mean robert whitaker is still ranked first followed by paulo costa jared cannonier jack hermanson yoel romero darren till Derek brunson i mean to me whitaker is as deserving as any contender if he beats jared cannonier um are we looking at that as a viable rematch uh this quick after whitaker lost to adesanya in, in pretty pretty emphatic fashion last year it wouldn't be unprecedented. I mean, Rich Franklin versus Anderson Silva comes to mind. Mm-hmm. So um, if he can get that win, uh, yeah, I mean, Cannoneers looked very good. And so if he can beat him, then uh, it, it's hard to argue, especially with uh, the resume that uh, you list or so that list of fighters that you just mentioned, you know, they all have some losses recently that set them back. So if Whitaker could defeat Cannoneer, he would be worthy of a title shot. Chris Weidman is going for one more title run. He also stated so. 
There, there's your uh, your your long shot. Okay, well, it's a run, and he's taken a step, so <laughs> it's a few it's a, more. It's a very long race, but <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he's going for another run. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I, I can't say enough about Israel Adesanya. There was just a tremendous performance, and you know, for for Paulo Costa, I just think not. It, it was a question about what what the game plan was, and when whatever that game plan was not working in the first round, an inability to adjust being the story of this fight. Also, on this card, we int- we reintroduced uh, interviews inside of the octagon. And mm-hmm. did you d- during this whole period? Did you have a preference on how they did these interviews? Did you like the uh, the isolated shots of the guys going into the backstage area, or did it feel better getting John Anik uh, right there in everyone's face in the octagon? I actually like the uh, the other format that they had um, for a couple reasons. Um, I I thought I liked the fact that they weren't immediately surrounded by their manager and their or their coaches and, and all those people. And it also gave the fighter just a couple moments to calm down a little bit and and be in a different space than where they just engaged in combat. And it seemed like the fighters I'm 100% were hundred percent with you. I'm a hundred percent with you. Like the, just that that short moment, a couple of minutes of reflection. I thought you got some really like insightful answers not to say in the octagon you don't but you're right it's like you're still in fight mode in there and i think that when you take them into a different setting you do get a little bit more uh kind of uh, introspective look from these fighters yeah and even just from a presentation standpoint when you're interviewing them in the octagon you know there's still this arena behind them there's a bunch of people working but when it's uh that uh backstage sort of uh old school uh interview style you know, it's just them. They're the only person that uh, the audience is focusing on. And, and it, that's how it should be. They're the winner and they're who deserves our attention. Uh, Dominic Reyes versus Jan Blahovich for the vacant UFC light heavyweight title. Uh, there had not been a champion at 205 pounds, not named John Jones or Daniel Cormier, since Shogun held this title nine years ago. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a new era, I guess. What were you doing nine years ago? Uh, watching John Jones um, save a woman during an armed robbery attempt and then coming back to beat Shogun Hua the next night in, uh, in New Jersey. Sounds like a real hero. I mean, well, John Jones, he just seemed like the <laughs> ultimate hero back in 2011. I mean, what, what a model citizen that this, this gentleman is. Uh, so... Jan Blachowicz was a plus 220 favorite. And this is a fight I was going back and forth all weekend. And let it be known that you do have the receipt in WhatsApp that I did call Jan Blachowicz moments before the fight began. Did I not? You did. And actually, as you know, we were doing a poll in the chat in the discord just before that fight. And every single person picked Dominic Reyes. And I made a point to mention to everyone how you correctly uh, got this one. Did you did you mention that after the win or before saying, guys, John's going with Jan Blachowicz? No, I mentioned it after because I wanted to give you a chance. Like, I didn't want to, you know, I don't want to put you out there, you know, if you got it oh, wrong. Oh, no, my, my, my pick is public. It's out there. Um, okay. L- listen, all week long, I was, I was leaning Reyes, but I just, in that moment, I'm like, I, all week, like, I had really gone back and forth on this one. I did not think that this line was accurate to how close that this fight could be like Jan Blahovich is a really great fighter. Um, and I think with Dominic Reyes, I think we, 
you know, obviously very, very skilled fighter. Uh, but it, it, this is a totally different fight than the John Jones one. So it was interesting to see uh, what Blahovich did in this fight. In the first round, Reyes uh, is landing with his left hand early. And Blahovich, uh, to me, his biggest attribute in this fight was his patience. And, and it paid off in the end of the first round because he landed this body kick. And Dominic Reyes' ribs, uh, like, left his body and traveled back to the United States and left this purple blob on the side of his rib cage that just looked absolutely punishing what Jan Blahovich did to him with a body kick. This was one kick. Yeah, it was it was uh, very nasty, and uh, it started to get, like, really gross throughout uh the next you know seven minutes or so it started to all sorts of purple and blue and uh, it was pretty clear that uh Jan had the power advantage uh early on um even though uh you know in that first round I thought they were trading fairly evenly it was even I just thought the more uh, Blahovich had the more effective strikes at at the end especially that that body kick so I gave him the first round the second you can see Blahovich like he's starting to to build up his volume, and then he unloads this flurry. Reyes responds with a high kick, and Blahovich comes back and stuns Reyes, who staggers and goes down. And Blahovich is on top of him and finishes him with strikes. Jan Blahovich is the new light heavyweight champion, uh, finishing Dominic Reyes at four thirty six of the second round by TKO. John Pollock correct, Discord incorrect. I will uh, have my celebratory glass of water over here. Uh, but man, what a what a win here for Jan Blahovich! And listen, this guy's business brain immediately went off because he's thinking, "Who the hell am I going to make money with at 205 pounds?" So you know who he called out? He called out John Jones. He's like, "Stop running! Come and get me!" This guy, he's got a baby on the way. He wants to make some cash. Doesn't have a lot of time. He's already 37 years old. So listen, he's not going to get John Jones, but I understand what he was thinking here. Because listen, this light heavyweight division, it is post John Jones. It's going to take a lot of time to reconstruct this division because it's kind of left with like the souls from the graveyard nicknamed John Jones victims. Yeah, that's that's how they do it in Poland, apparently, um, according to uh, Jan, the new uh, light heavyweight champion. Hey, call that shot. I, I thought it was actually a pretty good promo he ran. Um, it got me, you know, pretty intrigued in the idea of that fight. But I, I'm with you. I don't think John's going to do that right now. It doesn't seem like it seems like he's pretty committed to that heavyweight uh, move. And yes, it's going to be tough to rebuild this division. Um, it certainly didn't help that Corey Anderson left. Not that, you know, he was, you know, number one contender or anything, but he was still a very a good uh, light heavyweight and it's slim pickings in that division right now. So yeah, where to go from here? Not quite sure. Um, I would like to see the John Jones fight. It's not like there's like an abundance of fights at heavyweight for him, but as we both already indicated, that's not going to happen most likely. The big fight to watch is they're trying to put together uh, once again, Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira that's been put off several times. Uh, Tiago Santos hasn't fought since 2019, last summer when he had that very close fight with John Jones. I would say Tiago Santos wins. That would be the fight to make at light heavyweight. Um, th these are not going to be the biggest fights that you can put on pay-per-view, but it, just in terms of finding a contender, to me, Tiago Santos would be that guy. But it's like what we're looking at here is Tiago Santos, Glover Teixeira, 
Alexander Rakic, uh, Yuri Pochazka, Volkan Ozdemir, Anthony Smith, Nikita Krylov, Johnny Walker. So listen, it's it's an open open field to emerge. You put a few in, uh, two wins together, you're probably in contention. Interesting. That's like half of them are Europeans, right? Or something to that effect, right? Uh, Four or five Europeans on that list? Yeah, significant portion. We have uh, Blahovic, we have Rakic, Prochaska, Ozdemir, Krylov. If you go down further, Mika Serkinov, who I guess is adopted Canadian. Yeah, so uh, that's a, that's an interesting uh, state of affairs. I mean, uh, you know, historically we've gotten, you know, some European here or there. Nice to see more representation um, across the globe. Uh, anything that surprised you about Dominic Reyes in this fight, um, j- just in terms of, you know, he was the big favorite going into this one. And uh, do, do you expect a lengthy title reign for for Blahovich? He's very old for a champion, like 37. Like that is up there in your career. Yeah. I mean, you know, going down the list of fighters you just mentioned, it would certainly seem like that, especially the way that he was able to defeat uh, Reyes tonight in such convincing fashion. Um, in regards to what Reyes, what surprised me about Reyes, I thought he was going to use a lot more movement, uh, similar to what he did in the uh, Jones fight. But I guess there was maybe, you know, maybe they were trying to pace themselves more because he he kind of faded in that fight. Um, so I guess that would be the only thing that surprised me in that regard. Um, and yeah, just Jan, very impressive, uh, disciplined. Um, he could be a champion for a while because of the reasons that we outlined. Um, and hopefully he can gain some momentum because he's not, you know, the most thrilling personality. He's also won eight of his last nine fights. The one loss in that stretch, Phil, Tiago Santos, writes itself. There you go, matchmaker John. They, they, they shouldn't even book the Glover to share a fight. Why don't you just save Santos for whenever Blahovich is ready to come back? Why risk it? I, I don't think Glover Teixeira is necessarily the guy you want to challenge Blahovich. I mean, what, what, a, what a fight that would be. Uh, I mean, Blahovich would be like the, the young upstart at 37 taking on Glover Teixeira. Hey, we had somebody making uh, what was essentially a UFC de- debut at uh, age 40 tonight. So. <laughs> That's right. We got Juan Espino that we're going to get to. Uh, but before that... Don't get uh, uh, Eric started on Juan Espino. We're, 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 we're going to get to that. And we're going to get to that dreadful fight that kicked off the show tonight. Uh, but this was not the dreadful fight. This was amazing. Kai Kara France and Brandon Royville, the the raw dog. Yeah, I mean new new nicknames for a thousand, Alex. Uh, yeah, he raw dogged and bailed. I mean, if anybody remembers uh, some Eminem from back in the day, but uh, yeah, not the most charming of nicknames. Uh, Kai Kara France was one of three of Adesanya's teammates that were on the show. We had four city kickboxing fighters on this card, and it was a mixed night for the gym. Uh, but this first round, my God, Kai Kara France landed this right hand that rocked Roivo, and you thought the fight was over. But before you can even think that, Roivo comes with this spinning elbow, and I swear to God, Kai Karas France's head almost came off his shoulders. And Roivo goes to the ground, and he's trying to go for this go-go plata, and it was, it was not happening. Uh, France scrambles free, and then Roivo, this guy could not miss when he threw. He was landing everything on France. 
and then drilled him with this right knee. He goes for a guillotine but loses it. Unbelievable round. They were not uh, exaggerating that this was one of the best rounds of 2020. This was pure action for five minutes. Yeah, it was back and forth. There were so many position changes that um, back elbow sort of reminded me of the Korean zombie um, versus yeah, yeah. Rodriguez fight, uh, right? Because it was going in one direction, but it was the first right. round. And, uh, you know, even, and then even that Goga Plata, uh, situation, yeah, he wasn't getting the Goga Plata, but he was using that to turn into an Oma Plata and just, he ended up getting top position from that. Uh, so, uh, Royville was just really impressive with just how much he was moving. And Cara France was, was right there with him. He was just a step behind, it seemed. So the second begins and Royval just got lifted by France for a slam, but applied a guillotine and it was tight. France goes down to the mat and he's forced to submit only 48 seconds into the second round. Uh, as Mark Ramondi dubbed him, Brandon Crown Royval wins by submission. Uh, awesome fight. Uh, we, we, I don't think they've disclosed the bonuses yet. This has to be fight of the night. Yeah, it, it was it was really exciting. I mean, the flyweight division looks really great. There's a bunch of contenders in the top ten, and you know, despite the loss, this isn't that bad for Kara France. I think people are going to want to see him uh, in there again uh, with a, a ranked opponent. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was tremendous. I, I highly suggest anybody go back and watch this one if they weren't able to watch the pay per view. They have disclosed the bonuses. This got fight of the night. The performance of the night bonuses went to Adesanya and Blahovich. Oh, there's a couple people who you feel bad for because there was some totally, good. Totally. There was we, some had a, good we had ones. a scarf hold on this show. Yeah. Poor, oh, we'll get the poor Juan Espino. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the victim of this show. Uh, Ketlin Vieta and Sijara Eubanks uh, fought. This was uh, at 135 pounds. Uh, I had Vieta winning the first two rounds. I mean, she was just got more comfortable with her strikes in the first. Eubanks and her were just, they were just throwing a lot, but the takedowns were there uh, for Vieta. And then in the third, Eubanks started to connect. She hit this left hook and was landing inside leg kicks. Uh, the striking was close, but then Eubanks got her back while she was standing and landed some big shots at the end. So I scored it 29-28 for Vieta. Yeah, I had it the same way. Um, those rounds were pretty close, but those takedowns were the difference makers. Uh, Eubanks came out in the third and was pretty aggressive. This was actually a pretty uh, entertaining fight. And Vieira answered in that third round, too. She wasn't just going to, you know, take her win, uh, you know, and, you know, coast like we saw somebody else try to do. Um, but, uh, it was a pretty good performance and, uh, you know, not the worst one from Eubanks, who's had sort of like a, some disappointing, uh, moments in the UFC. But yeah, definitely losing those first two rounds cost her. Um, but it was a pretty entertaining fight. For Eubanks, she had just fought on September 12th and then came back to fight, uh, what is it, 15 days later, 16 days later. Um, so that, that was, a very fast turnaround. Vieta at one point, she was like a win away from challenging for the title, but then she lost to Irene Aldana. I think she had like a big injury prior to that fight as well. So, I mean, she's just kind of knocked herself back, but uh, we will see if she can put some wins together um, and, and stay healthy. Hakeem Dawadu versus Zubara. 
Tahugov. Uh, Tahugov missed weight by four pounds. And uh, this was one of two fighters that missed weight by four pounds, which is a sizable amount when you're talking about missing weight. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a massive amount. Uh, and uh, as Israel Adesanya pointed out during his uh, post-fight speech, uh, you know, these financial penalties that these fighters incur for missing weight uh, might not be enough. And he suggested some pretty uh, serious... 80%, 80% of your purse if you miss weight. Hey, uh, you know, it, it makes a big difference. You know, I always remember the time uh, Cowboy Oliveira fought Will Brooks and he missed weight. And, you know, you could tell he was just a massive man in there compared to him. So um, thankfully, it didn't turn out to matter in this one. Not in this one, uh, but it's always something I always feel for the fighter that does make weight. They're not in a position to say no and turn down the fight because, you know, they they've they've paid for a whole camp. They, uh, they're not going to give up their, uh, their money or anything like that. So you pretty much have to just accept that you're giving up weight for a guy that didn't have to cut those last four pounds that you did. Um, so that that's always unfortunate. And it's not like, uh, there's some asterisk next to your fight. If the guy you lost to misses weight, it just goes down as a loss. But as you said, uh, with Dawadu here, uh, he wins this fight by split decision, very close, very technical fight between these two. Uh, I actually scored it the other way. I had it 29-28 for Tahugov, but I thought that the second round was extremely close. Um, I had uh, Zubara, I had winning the first round, uh, mainly from the strikes he landed and when he started fainting and then would land. The second round, I swear to God, it was a coin toss, so I really have no argument against this decision. The third, I I thought, was a solid round uh, for for Dawadu, but... Uh, did you give all three rounds to Dawadu or two of three? No, I gave him the second and the third. And uh, I'm with you on the second one. It was close uh, to to Gagov. He did get a takedown, but he didn't do much with it. And then I remember Dawadu got, he you know, he had a flurry right at the end of the round. So I think that's what might have, you know, that last impression is what might have given it to to given it to him for me, but um, that would do did a lot standing. Yeah, take down. So yeah, I totally see the second round going for him. Like this was one I, I really didn't have a good read on who was going to get the decision, but uh, mm-hmm. that would do got it uh, 30, 27, uh, 29, 28. And then one had it 29, 28 for Tahugov. And man, in the third round, uh, we, we got a lot of warnings from people like cage grabs, stuff like that. But we had Dawadu, who was warned to stop cussing when Dawadu was yelling at him to stop fucking running. And he had to get warned. Don't swear. I liked after- it. I thought it was a good call. Afterwards, he criticized uh, Tahugov for running throughout the fight. And you know what? This guy made weight. I think he had. Uh, he was right to get screamed at. This guy was probably pissed about the guy missing weight by so much. Yeah. I. I, I mean... I didn't have any problem with anything he said before or after it was, it was or, or I mean, during the fight. Uh, yeah, he had a right to be upset. And then even during the fight, the way that, uh, you know, 
he was competing in the last two minutes of that third round is he was coasting on the idea that he won the first two and, you know, in that, a close. That's crazy. Like, that's crazy. Like, yeah. like he would have, it was su- such close rounds that that w- was a total mistake. And Dawadu, I mean, clearly won the third round. Um, I think that was the easiest round to score of this. But Dawadu, after he lost his UFC debut, he's now won five in a row. And at featherweight, that's impressive. Like this, like Tahugov's like a, He's a good featherweight, and that th- this will propel Dawadu to, you know, where you're you're talking about being in that, you know, top twelve, top fifteen mix. Uh, yeah, and and uh, to to Hugov, he had a really nice jab and really good footwork through most of this fight, but Dawadu was just able to weather that storm. He had more energy towards the end, and he had amazing takedown defense, where he was not only able to just avoid the takedown, but separate as well and return to the striking. So uh, I think he has a lot of potential. I, it was a very impressive performance, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what they have next for him. Uh, then Brad Riddell, another city kickboxing fighter, took on Alex Da Silva. And this fight, what, what a turnaround this was. In the first round, dude, Alex Da Silva looked awesome. He was landing these combinations on Riddell. Uh, out grappled him and then goes for this guillotine in the closing minute. And it's looking like, man, Brad Riddell, it's not going to be a great ending here for the city kickboxing crew. But then the second round began and that's when Alex De Silva just, I don't know. He just, I guess it was like such a turnaround here because Riddell uh, just completely changed his game plan around. He was closing the distance and sneaking in these short uppercuts. And it was a striking. That was the big difference and cemented the round with a takedown into the third, uh, this was where we saw the biggest controversy of the fight because Riddell is winning the striking, and suddenly De Silva claims that he got poked in the eye, and the referee takes his word for it. The announcers are on top of this. They're like, I'm pretty sure that was a punch, and they get the replay, and it was 100% a punch. So De Silva got a total gift call here from the referee to get a timeout, Thankfully, it didn't matter because Riddell just unloaded on him. It was a dominant round for Riddell. Um, I thought this was a pretty easy fight to score. Two rounds to one for Riddell. Yeah, the moment, the the resumption of action during that foul, quote unquote, was actually kind of comical because you could tell that the ref could hear people yelling that it was a punch. And then he just, and he goes. The corner was furious. Like Riddell's (laughs) corner was absolutely furious that this referee got talked into it. It wasn't even like the referee didn't catch it. And you cannot call a foul as the fighter. Like that, that's a TKO win for Riddell right there when the guy stops fighting and the referee hadn't called it. But I mean, the referee just got kind of persuaded in the heat of the moment, but it didn't impact. And like, had this been something where, you know, it changes the momentum of the round or something, there would have been, God, this corner would have rioted. Yeah. I just love that he, you know, when he resumes the action, he goes to Riddell, watch out. And Riddell's like, what do you mean? Watch out. Don't punch watch him. Out. Watch out for those fists. Okay. <laughs> Trying to have a clean fight here. Yeah. Anyway, Brad Riddell gets the win and uh, justice is restored in the world. Diego Sanchez against jake matthews um okay the part that threw me uh, phil was that they screwed up the graphics at the beginning and they had jake matthews was listed as a plus 500 underdog and i didn't know what i was and then the announcers clarified that uh it is diego that is the plus 500 
underdog and Jake Matthews is the healthy minus 700 favorite. So odds makers had this one uh, pretty accurate. Oh, I thought, I thought that you told me that the line turned when it was announced <laughs> that Stefan Bonner was going to oh be, was God, the coach. Because when I saw that, oh my God, I, I, I had faith. I had faith in, in the nightmare. You know, you know who they needed? They needed Justin McCulley under a mask oh, as uh, Stefan Bonner's uh, <laughs> s- second cornerman. That's that's some deep cuts uh, MMA references. You need to be like really into the game to know what you just were talking about. <laughs> that was a long time ago when you think about it. It doesn't feel yeah. that long ago, but I guess it's a generation ago for Bellator fans out there. Um, th- this was just, um, you know, if you're someone that has fought, this was Diego Sanchez's 32nd UFC fight. When he won the Ultimate Fighter, Jake Matthews was 10 years old and he grew up to beat his hero uh, because he dominated this fight. Um, I thought the announcers were more kind to Diego Sanchez than maybe they needed to be because you could see these two that like there was a part of Anik and Paul Felder that just wanted to see Diego Sanchez rally and get anything. But this, like, it was. Uh, to me, they were not complimenting Jake Matthews enough because he dominated this fight. He just picked Sanchez apart with his right hands. He was taking him down fairly easily. And it was Sanchez that just, you know, he would he would get out of the way. He would try and charge in at times, but usually it was just right into Matthews' strikes, uh, just like watching someone run into busy traffic. Um, the third round was uh, a 10-8 round for me. Matthews stunned him with a right, sent, sending Sanchez down. He's cut open over the right eye. And you've got Stefan Bonner yelling, Triangle! Triangle! Diego could not pull off a triangle. Instead, he ate a lot of hammer fists, and Matthews won this fight. Uh, I had it 30-26, as did all three of the judges. And uh, the dominant win for Jake Matthews, who quietly, uh, since this guy returned to welterweight, uh, has gone on quite the run. Yeah, pretty amazing that he was ever even at 155. It's crazy he is, when you... He is he's very big. Yeah. Um, and if you look at his record, like his losses are to very uh, good competition. Um, the, the one criticism I think you could say about him here is, you know, he played it ultra safe. Um, this was probably an opponent where he could throw a little bit more caution to the wind. But, you know, it's a big name. He wanted to make sure he got the W. Can't blame him for, you know, writing it out. Yeah. Is... Is what is in the future for Diego Sanchez? Because you know, you look at this record, and this guy has a record that you would not assume he should have at, at this stage of his career. Like he, he wins fights when he needs to, and I mean, it's like his last, his last five, including tonight, he's three and two. Uh, granted, one of them was that DQ over uh, Michelle Pereira, but I mean, geez, a year and a half ago, he stopped Mickey Gall. <laughs> yeah, he stopped Mickey Gall. Um, well, uh, I'm just saying that, like, okay, Mickey Gall. No, like, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not trying to bash Mickey Gall. I'm not trying to bash Mickey Gall. I, um, I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, who could you put him up against? And I was, is this too cruel? What about Donald Cerrone? Oh God. Does that make? Does not? Is that does that not make sense? Or does that make sense? Or what? Do, I, I don't know. Am I, I chewing I my enjoy- own brain? I didn't enjoy watching Diego Sanchez in this fight. I, I really asked the question, like, why, why is he fighting? And I mean, it's just, um, I mean, there's certain guys you can put in and Diego Sanchez, I guess will be moderately competitive with. Um, 
him and Donald Cerrone and you market it as uh, the final ride for both guys. Sure. Maybe you could do that. I, I don't know. I was just trying to think of who is an opponent. He could, you could put him up against where you're not like concerned. I mean, that, that will assure, I think a, a Donald Cerrone victory. Um, I mean, it's, I guess not out of the realm of possibility when it comes to their, their matchmaking that they could uh, pair those two together. Um, I don't, I don't believe we have seen the last fight of either Diego Sanchez or Donald Cerrone. So, I mean, and I don't see the UFC stepping in and stopping either from fighting either. Um, no, I mean, although it did sound like Dana after uh, the event last weekend was, you know, he was leaning towards the idea of Cerrone retiring. So uh, maybe they can have a blow off. Uh, and then uh, the first fight involving one of the city kickboxing uh, guys was Shane Young against Ludovic Klein, who missed weight again by four point uh, by four pounds. Uh, and this was the one that prompted Israel Adesanya to be furious because his teammate had to face the guy that missed weight by so much and cleaned Shane Young's clock in this fight. At the beginning of this fight, Paul Felder is remarking, it's really interesting that a guy who's making his UFC debut is the betting favorite. So remember that line because he would have a follow-up later. Klein is using his jab and then he lands this clean uppercut that floors Young and he just eats shot after shot and is done. Uh, at a minute 16 of the first round, Ludovic Klein gets the KO and Paul Felder in the span of one minute and 16 seconds goes from questioning his, uh, his, uh, the odds makers, making him the favorite in his UFC debut to proclaiming that this guy could be a contender at 145 <laughs> pounds. So he won over Paul Felder with this performance. <laughs> And then he kind of uh, walked it back by noting he did miss weight, and I can't, I can't give him a pass on that one. And that probably, um, I, I've got to imagine, like that probably put him out of the running for the for the bonus after because this was a really impressive uh, finishing sequence by Klein. Yeah, it was an amazing combination. And look, if you want to talk about the the weight cutting, um, you know. Should he have pursued it to the end? Probably. But if you look at his physique, it's not like he was uh, he was lazy uh, in this weight cut department. Like he doesn't have an ounce of fat on him. It may not even be possible for him to make this weight. So um, uh, might want to revisit him uh, where he's going to fight next at what weight class. Uh, but because of the quick work, maybe he returns. Um, during this fight island stint. Uh, William Knight versus Alexa Kamer. And this one went three rounds. Um, William Knight uh, somehow, uh, like, he fights at light heavyweight. This dude is enormous. And he had so much power. And he didn't really tire in this fight either. He just was able to use his power to get takedowns when necessary. And when he got on top, Kamer was, he didn't have any say in where this fight was going at this point. Um, Knight won all three rounds here. He went four for five on his takedowns, uh, flattened them near the end. Um, I had him winning this 30-27. Uh, the judges had it 30-27 twice and 29-28. I, I think like a decent prospect here. He fought on, first he fought on Dana White's contender series and got a developmental contract. Then he came back on September 1st of this year and won so he comes back uh, 
four weeks later and gets this win. Yeah, it was very uh, impressive uh, performance. Uh, he was so strong and it was very evident, especially I think it was the second round. There was one point where Kamer got his back and uh, Knight just spun around like it was nothing. And, you know, you, you've seen this escape uh, fairly often in MMA when somebody's on their back, but uh, they're uh, sort of on the bottom. Uh, you know, the top person will just spin around and assume top guard, but you really have to fight for it. It's not an easy transition, but Knight just it was like nothing. And, and everything in this fight, it, it just looked so strong. He looked like the immovable object in there. Uh, Alexa Kamer and Jeff Hughes, who's in our next fight, both teammates of Stipe Miocic, and they had rough nights tonight. Jeff Hughes took on, this was the real main event of the show, Juan Espino in heavyweight action on the on the undercard. Espino won the Ultimate Fighter in 2018. He won season 28, but he hasn't fought since then. And on October 9th, Juan Espino will turn 40. So, you know where Chris Weidman is getting binoculars out to look at the destination of where his run is going to take him? If he has a rearview mirror that goes uh, about a thousand yards in the in behind him, that's where Juan Espino starting out. At the age of 40, he's starting his UFC run. I don't know. I would say Chris Weidman's in Juan Espino's rearview mirror at this point. Oh, boy, man. You got a who's closer to a UFC title shot? I don't know, but I'm looking for any bit of sunlight to combat <laughs> your shade that you're throwing because man, Chris Weidman, I'm sure an avid listener of ours, very disappointed in your assessment of his abilities. Um, Juan Espino, we did not have any question about his submission abilities here. He tried for the takedown as Hughes gets warned about grabbing the fence and Espino gets him down, goes to side control uh, later slammed them, got the mount, and then applies a scarf hold and forces the tap. Paul Felder was in awe of this man. Uh, it was it was identified by Bruce Buffer as an arm triangle, but this was a scarf hold, one of very, very few um, that have been pulled off in the UFC. In fact, I saw a stat that there had been two prior, but they had been labeled neck cranks. So uh, anyway, Juan Espino gets the uh, submission here and... I think this guy should be livid that he didn't get $50,000 at the end of this night. <laughs> it was, it, there was a lot of competition, unfortunately. Uh, 348 of the first round, uh, the finish comes. And then our opening fight, the fight that was going to kick things off and set the tone for the night. Hadis Ibrigamov versus Danilo Marquez. Light heavyweight fight. Marquez is making his UFC debut and had not fought since February of 2018, taking on Ibragamov, who at one point was the M1 Challenge light heavyweight champion and has gotten off to an 0-3 start in the UFC heading into tonight's fight. And what we got was one of the worst fights of the year. This thing went at a goddamn snail's pace. Uh, Ibragamov must have grabbed the fence like, 14 times in this fight and referee Jason Herzog warned him 14 times, which you know what? Fair play to a Bragamov after warning number four that, you know what? I don't think you're going to do shit. So he continued to grab the fence. There was no penalty for grabbing this fence uh, for him. Marquez won 
every round. Um, this fight was awful. The announcers, by the third round, they were acknowledging, you know, this is a pretty slow fight. And they started <laughs> making jokes about, uh, clearly these guys, they got the wrong coffee. They've been drinking decaf mm, yeah. <laughs> because it's three in the morning. Anyway. Yeah, their sleep schedule was messed up. That's what that's what the problem was with this fight. These guys had they literally messed- started analyzing sleep schedules during this fight. That's how dull this was for them. Uh, Marquez, they were, they were analyzing my real time sleep schedule during well, this fight. They were putting most of us to sleep at regular time here. Uh, Marquez wins by unanimous decision, 30-27, twice. Ibragimov falls to zero and four in the UFC. I am not uh, a fortune teller, but I would imagine that. We were we are not going to see Bragamov's next fight take place in a UFC octagon. That would be my guess, Phil. I'm going out on a wide, wide limb there. Yeah, I mean that would be hard to imagine, hard to justify after uh, that uh, snooze fest. Yeah, but the card got better. This was definitely the worst fight of the night. Yeah, I mean, I, from that perspective, you know, there was only one place to go. Now the problem is. It sort of made it feel like the start of the night had taken about 90 minutes. That was UFC 253. So we'll open up the phone lines if anyone is is with us uh, that wants to chime in and chat about this card or what's coming up. I am so excited, Phil, that the next time that we're doing one of these pay-per-view post shows, it's going to be after UFC 254. The main card, the main card starts at 2 p.m. Eastern time. We may be chatting at 5 o'clock that day. Uh, that sounds very, very exciting, and I, I'll talk about that. Just remind people to join us. Uh, the way to join us is by uh, entering the post-live calls channel on our Discord. Once you're in there, I will put you on the air. Um, yeah, I'm very excited for the matinee card. It, the actual main card is pretty stacked. It's a six-fight main card, which is a bit odd, I guess. I mean... Uh, there's that Cynthia Calvillo fight that's on there that seems sort of like the odd one out. But uh, nonetheless, I'm happy that there's a card in the middle of the day. That card looks stacked and uh, really excited for that main event and that co-main event. And that there's some other good fights there as well. Here's the here's the main card. I've got it in front of me. This is the six-fight pay-per-view main card. Uh, Habib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. Robert Whitaker versus Jared Cannonier. So in theory, that could uh, produce the next middleweight title challenger. Alexander Volkov versus Walt Harris. Islam Makachev versus uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. Cynthia Calvillo versus Lauren Murphy. And I mean, this fight's just put there because it's probably not going to happen. Something will happen to these two. Magomed Ankaleev versus Jan Kutalaba, which has been, uh, they have attempted several times this year to do this fight. And uh, they had the first fight, which ended in very controversial fashion, and then they want to run this back and have not been able to successfully run it back, but they will try October 24th. But the main takeaway, the headline quote, pay-per-view main card, 2 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday, October 24th. Um, so we have our uh, first caller on the line from the wonderful uh, Garden State, oh, uh, Brandon from New Jersey. Brandon, Hold on one second. Oh, you should be you should be live. You're muted, uh, Brandon. Unmute your mic. Oh, that's my bad. You should be live now. Sorry, Brandon. 
Yes, we can hear you. That was my mistake, Brandon. You are a master of these uh, technical technical uh, tools. Uh, you know, people don't give you enough credit. You've, you've gone through three different communications platforms to continue to provide everybody with that, this segment on uh, the post uh, wrestling post shows. Uh, I'm just curious. Are you guys are you guys excited for uh, the Diego Sanchez and Donald Cerrone last ride documentary on the award winning WWE Network? Might be might be the last ride for those two in their next fight. We'll see if a matchmaker Phil Chair no. gets his way. I can't. Uh, that might be what happens. I think it's gonna be awesome, uh, Diego, man. Uh, but the real story, I'm curious. Did you guys notice Izzy's uh, peck? Um, yeah, it had like uh, it, it looked, people it looked were very weird. fascinating. I, I hope, right I hope it's door. nothing untoward or nothing, but I don't know, man. <laughs> kind of suspect. And uh, shout out Juan Espino, man. He's he's the next uh, <laughs> he's the next big thing in, in the UFC heavyweight division. Long term, I'd feed him to I'd feed him to John Jones like immediately. Uh, it'd be a great showcase fight for uh, John in the in the heavyweight division because uh, he's not coming back to two hundred five live. So. Uh, yeah, it's not going to happen. Hey, Brandon, I have a question that? for you. You can predict the future very accurately. Within within the next year, we haven't talked about this yet on the show. Conor McGregor and Manny Pacquiao. Are we going? Is it going to happen? Brandon. Yeah, I'm here. Maybe he can hear me. I, I- it's hard to hear John. I can't hear John. Okay, sure. So John wanted to know if you think that Manny Pacquiao versus uh, uh, Conor McGregor is going to happen in the next year. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what part of the what part of the Middle East are we talking about? I mean, I mean, sure, whatever. I mean, I, I, I is it possible? Yeah. I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, I was, a friend of mine just texted me out of the blues asked, uh, asking about that play. Like, oh, you should come to my uh, bar and watch the fight. First off, I'm not going to anyone's bar, <laughs> COVID and whatnot. And second of all, it's crazy that a random person out of my life is just consumed with this fight that might or might not even happen, uh, depending on the day, depending on McGregor's mood. I mean, sure, they're gonna, a Sultan's going to offer us this pot of gold for, for that fight to happen. But uh, I don't know. I'm skeptical. Um, and uh, one last thing, Brandon, since we're happy to have you here, what is your what was your happy takeaway? F- uh, uh, what was your takeaway from, uh, you know, your countrymates, uh, you know, the next, uh, you know, great hope for Canada, Hakeem Dawadu? What were your thoughts on him? I, I was impressed. I was impressed by his by his uh, his sprawl and brawl. I mean, uh, surely he was training with the Canadian national freestyle team in, at, at University of Calgary, right? <laughs> uh, of course. Duh. I mean, uh, the guy was trying to take him down, and, and Hakeem was just straight up saying, no, nah, I, got, I got these iron hips. You can't take me down, bro. You got me down once in the second round and did nothing. But uh, listen, A, you can't, you're not going to. Oh. We just uh, we just lost uh, Brandon, unfortunately, but we got the the gist of it. You, what, did you catch Anik throwing some shade on Toronto? He said Dawadu could sell out the Bell Center. Oh well, no, I think I think what he's saying is like, let's hold our horses. This guy sure couldn't put enough butts <laughs> in the seats at Rogers Center. Let's be honest. Uh-huh. Um, apparently, tonight at the press conference, Dana White is furious that Conor McGregor released those messages between them. He said it violates man code stuff you don't, uh, I don't text messages 
I don't blame them. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's definitely a violation of uh, privacy, but um, yeah, I mean, you're in the and it's like a negotiation tactic. It's like I don't know. It's I'm I'm sure you know Dana White has plenty of nasty Conor McGregor messages that he could release that would be embarrassing for him. So I don't know. The whole thing is 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 unpleasant. I haven't asked you, but like this, listen. When I first heard the McGregor Pacquiao thing, like I. I can't dismiss it outright because like we saw this happen and it was an, an enormous success with the Mayweather fight. Um, but the fact is we have gotten Connor's management stating they're moving ahead with it. They claim that the UFC is on board and then Pacquiao's management uh, put out a statement today stating that talks have begun, but no deal is finalized. Like how much, um, like it's it's obviously like a real thing in the sense it's being discussed, but what is the likelihood of this fight occurring in your estimation? I'd give it a twenty five percent chance of occurring. I see it as a negotiating tactic. I mean, we already saw. I mean, last week uh, after not hearing about Connor at all, we heard Dana say, you know, we've got some exciting things planned for him, some fun things. I think is. The correct quote. And then all of a sudden these things come out. I mean, maybe he didn't like what the plan was. I don't know. Obviously, he wanted to be active and they're not getting him a fight this year. And so he's he's trying to do something now, you know, creating this um, boxing event. You know, there's a lot of moving parts to that. And, you know, he's he obviously he would most he needs the UFC's approval to do that because they have a fight contract with him. But it also raises some legal questions about the promoter slash manager role. So I, I just I don't see it happening unless the UFC just completely gets at an impasse with him and are just like, fine, we'll we'll take this money from this ludicrous event again. If this were to happen on like traditional pay-per-view, let's just say not like a, a streaming entity, and you look at the the barometer being set with McGregor and Mayweather doing is about like 4.3 million buys. I mean, I, I don't see it coming anywhere near that. But what 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 would you say the ceiling would be for McGregor doing a boxing fight with Manny Pacquiao in 2021? The ceiling, eh? Because <sighs> it, it will do big. It, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like anyone who dismisses it, and there will be people that like, listen, it's it is uh it's a pure business generating fight. Um and I don't think it would be competitive in the in the least, but you cannot convince me that it won't do an enormous number on pay-per-view. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I think it would do at least whatever a Conor McGregor event does, which is, what, like one and a half million in the last few, roughly. And then there's an added factor of the intrigue. I, I could see it being a two million event. I don't see it being as big as the Mayweather thing because... You know, people saw the Mayweather thing and, 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 you know, the, the jig is up a little bit. Um, but there's still people who would be interested in the, in this event. And also the fact that Manny is so much further in his career. Um, and he doesn't have that undefeated record that, uh, Mayweather has. I don't think it's going to generate as much interest, but I mean, I do think that, yeah, there will be a big audience for an event like this. How about this from the post-fight press conference? Uh, this comes courtesy of uh, Aaron Bronstetter at TSN. Israel Adesanya says that the reason he got rid of his pink hair, are you ready for this, Phil? Was because his father, Oluwafemi, told him that if he jabbed Costa in the eyes, 
he would be able to fixate on the hue of the pink hair and aim for that. So he got rid of the pink in his hair because it could have been something to fixate the eyes on. Costa was playing checkers. Adesanya was playing chess. Dude, this is the this is above chess. Go. Uh, the, the hue of a, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe uh, I don't know. What would be uh, what's the next complex? I guess, I guess it, yeah, I guess it would have to be like some modern, most complex video game. It's the uh, I don't know. I'm not going to name start naming video games. They'll That's really all right. like cut the audience in half. Well, Phil, um, come up in the next little while. Uh, we've got next weekend, Holly Holm against Irene Aldana. That's exciting stuff. Um, you know, the, the Hey, fight- they needed to make that main event. How many times, right? They had to move that main event because it was such a big main event. Dude, they love, a- they love Holly Holm, you know, to give her main events. I mean, they better be thanking these two that this fight stays together because this is a sad card next weekend. I mean, Jermaine Durandamy against Juliana Pena. Good fight. That's a good then, one. Then you got Jorgen De Castro against Carlos Felipe, which I think is second from the top on this. Oh, my uh, goodness. Carlos Condit is fighting Court McGee. And, and okay. that's Okay. That's, that's something. This is a card. And then we've got Marlon Marias versus Corey Sanhagen the next week. And then October 18th, Brian Ortega versus Chan Sung Jung, which should be something. Yeah, I mean, highly anticipated fight. I mean, year in the making, if not more. Um, so, yeah, if that one comes together, I think there will be a lot of interest around that. And then we're back, October 24th, UFC 254, afternoon card. Get excited now. We've got a whole month to prepare for this afternoon UFC pay-per-view card. Uh, but I think that's going to wrap it up for us tonight, Phil. Is there any any closing thoughts, any words of wisdom that you want to uh, leave everybody to to ponder on their Sunday as they reflect on UFC 253? Um, no, but uh, I'm I'm sure uh, everybody's probably who's listening to this has probably already heard about the interview that I got to do with you last week. Uh, you were kind enough to appear on my show, the Fishbulb Podcast. And uh, gave about an hour and a half of time to talk about your career in broadcasting. And it was a really great chat. And I'm not the only person who thinks so. It is the episode of mine that I have had by far the most feedback. And it's all been positive. And uh, so if anybody has not listened to that yet, do yourself a favor and listen to the Fishbulb podcast on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, I, I I really enjoyed doing uh, this interview with uh, with you, Phil. I think it was like my favorite interview I've ever done with someone. Wow. Oh, John, that's so kind. That's really nice. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, maybe, maybe then we can do it again. Maybe I can think of uh, another angle. And there were some things I didn't uh, actually ask you. I, uh, you know, I went, I had to listen to it. And uh, I definitely have some things to improve on and some questions that I would have liked to to uh address but i think uh you know there's definitely some more areas to explore in uh that deep deep past of yours well we got to make the people wait for it they've got to uh wait, oh for sure up. you know you gotta you gotta make maximum interest for uh the, the return date but uh, do go subscribe yeah we're not to the- we're not uh ready for another title shot for uh you know <laughs> <laughs> You know, like Paulo Costa, he's got to build himself up a little bit. That's right. That's right. 
So that's going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you to all of you that tuned in live uh, tonight. Uh, if you're new to the shows, uh, me and Phil do these live after every UFC pay-per-view up on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel. So subscribe there to the YouTube channel. Go subscribe to the Fishball Podcast, uh, which is also on YouTube. So you can you can watch us just uh, chat about my career. It's it's a very one-sided interview when it comes to me just talking and talking. And, and Phil is just uh, steering it and just uh, guiding us on the tour of my life and career. So check that out. Uh, and we'll be back next month, Saturday, October 24th, UFC 254. And you can get all of your news up at postwrestling.com. We've got shows coming up on Sunday. Wei Ting and Mike Murray will have a G1 podcast up for our Post Wrestling Cafe members on Sunday afternoon. And then me and Wei will have a show after Clash of Champions Sunday night for our double-double ice cap and espresso patrons, a show that 1,000% Phil Chair Talk will not be watching, nor will he be missing. Um, but hey, that's why you've got us to watch a show that I don't know how many people will be watching. But that is it for us. Phil, as always, thank you so much for joining us. And here we are, out of here by 2 a.m. No, thank you, John, for having me. And, you know, you're making some assumptions. You are correct. I probably will not be watching clash of champions you're making but, the call. <laughs> but that doesn't mean i won't be watching you in way because oh. I, I i i love to hear your 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 tidbits i love to hear your takes of just everyday life you know what it, what your thoughts are like when you go to get a coffee they're always such great little charming anecdotes and uh, so I, I always enjoyed tuning in. And then, of course, it, it wouldn't be a post show without an appearance from Brandon from New Jersey. So that's my favorite segment uh, of your shows. And uh, yeah, so there's a very good chance that I will be listening. Well, if he can stay up that late and call in, we always enjoy when Brandon from New Jersey calls in. So uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. And we'll speak with you uh, Sunday night. <laughs>